It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together and play a ton. Hi, I'm Matt, and I'm one of the two content creators for Friday Night Games. And we want to immerse you into our love of the hobby by educating and entertaining you through our board gaming adventures. Our podcast lands every Friday, and we create content for Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. This episode is sponsored by TabletopRenaissance.ca, located in our hometown of Windsor, Ontario. They just launched their web store, so check out TabletopRenaissance.ca for all your board game and tabletop miniature needs. All right, everyone. Welcome to the continuation of the last podcast. We have our very charismatic guest with us, Logan of Tunnel Vision Games, and he's here to talk about magic for the second time, although he doesn't know that because we recorded this last week. (laughs) On the last podcast, we started with what is magic and injected the latest magic news for the year. On this one, we will continue with the best way for beginners to play and talk a lot about collecting. Small note, last episode has info that answers the set release questions in the last episode, and it's because they wanted a special draft experience that includes both sets and has some really cool collectible monsters. That is why Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt are released so close together. I really wish they didn't release them so close together because that just hurts everyone's wallet and it's a bad idea and they're going to get people to not play Magic. But hey, whatever. They can do whatever they want. They're Wizards of the Coast. They think they're making a bajillion dollars. All right, so back to the podcast. Okay, Logan, let me tell you, let me ask you this. What do you think the best way for a beginner to play Magic is? Definitely the pre-constructed decks. Okay. If you, I guess, let's say if you're going to do it in person, grab a pre-constructed deck and it comes with like a rules insert. So you and your friend pick one up at at your local game store and then like read through it, maybe watch a tutorial, go that way. I think the jumpstart is a really good option, but you can pretty much find those pre-constructed like introduction decks that are of similar power level. Or honestly, just get on Arena and it'll teach you. It, it's got all of the trial games. It's got all the tutorials uh, and you can decide if the game is for you because like I've recommended it to a lot of people and they all kind of they get into it and they go, you know what? I don't I don't want to do that all that much. And they decide that it's not for them. Right, yeah, and Arena, because it's free, is a very easy way to do it. It also helps out. Like, it, it definitely, if you're going to play it in person, you need someone who, I would say, find someone who knows the rules, because <laughs> then it'll be a little bit easier to understand things yep. like the stack, which is just another way of saying, you know, whatever card last played goes first, basically, or mm-hmm. resolves first. Okay, what, what about if you're trying to get back into Magic? What do you think someone should do? How do you think you should get back into it? Well, that depends for the reason <laughs> why you got out. Really? And that's pretty contextual. If you got out because you hated the meta scene, then I would say like Commander. Commander is my preferred gameplay environment. It it eliminates the like, this is good. So I'm going to do only this one play or this one style of interaction. I think Commander is really good. The Commander precons aren't super expensive. I mean, they're like sometimes 60 to 70 bucks, depending on how good it is. So that you know, depending on what your budget is, I think commanders are a really great option. Drafting is a lot of fun. If you've got the right play group where everybody just needs to get a couple of booster packs and then you get back into it. And that way you can explore and see what's coming out in the new sets. The Dungeons and Dragons set has a bunch of mechanics 
that are super different from all the previous sets. Innistrad, I think, is going to try and revitalize the transforming mechanic, which is going to be super interesting. Mm -hmm. And then whatever comes out of Warhammer 40k and like Lord of the Rings and, and everything else. Insert insert what is happening in magic pending the this recording <laughs> yeah uh yeah <laughs> pending uh, a couple days from when you listen to this yeah. definitely after what we're recording so we're recording on august 16th and the magic stuff comes out august 24th so just so everyone knows yeah if only i had a time machine <laughs> if only we knew too bad we're not insiders <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, I, I, I'm with you 100%. I think uh, Arena is a very good way if you're a beginner to get into it and try it out without spending any money. And I actually think Commander is one of the best casual ways to play, and I totally oh. recommend the pre-constructed decks. Like, actually, Commander is their most popular format right now. So, yes, you could, there's generally a Commander deck with every single set. So you definitely should pick those up. They usually have really fun mechanics, and they actually put a lot of time into it, too which is pretty neat. Yeah, and the, the commander decks will be different from the regular set. Some cards will be put into the set that's like, this is a commander card, or they'll have specific commanders that they created, and they usually have some odd-looking interaction that's a lot of fun. And then usually it, it some of them can be powered up relatively quickly with just a, like a couple of sub-outs, mm -hmm. just what a lot of people do. A lot of my friends do that who have the... The physical copies of the cards yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of guides out there too i think star city tcg player oh, yeah. they all have like articles on how to boost up those decks which is pretty neat yeah edh rec which is so commander is what edh used to be which is elder dragon highlander something like that i don't remember sounds right which is basically just what commander is now so you have a legendary creature that is your commander and it's the 100 card deck that we had talked about previously right yeah, and on that note, you're not going to like Magic if you hate reading cards. I'm just going to point that out to you right now. <laughs> That's a good point. And and if you don't want to argue about rules, because you're going to feel like a lawyer trying to defend your decisions sometimes when you're playing with real people, to be honest. Well, and there's a whole bunch of different feelings about like rule proficiency. Right. L let's say, like in my play group, we had a come-together moment where we were like, okay, are we doing take backs or not? Because it would be like, no, no, you played that. You're not allowed to take it back. And then that player would then ask for, okay, well, I want to take this back because I, I didn't know that that it's like, okay, okay, okay. Everybody just relax. There's no such thing as no take backs. You just have to kind of be okay with the fact that not everybody's going to be perfect all the time. Right. And that we just ratcheted down the stress level a whole bunch by like, everybody can take back anything that they want. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because if, if you think about the end of the day, there's, especially if you're playing commander, there could be a ton of cards on the table with so many <laughs> rules. Oh, <laughs> you're yeah. going to lose track you for sure. Yeah. Especially if you're like, you were saying you like to play it casually, so you're like talking about your day and stuff. Yeah, you're totally going to lose track of what's going on, right? Understandable. So yeah, de definitely yeah. don't stress yourself out about the rules and winning when playing Magic. If you do, then Arena might be better because <laughs> <laughs> it tracks your rules for you. So you're the, you're yeah. the one at fault. <laughs> but there's no take backs, so that also sucks. Yeah, there is no undo. <laughs> you do something wrong, you're stuck with it. Yeah. So you better Amazing. learn how to do that that move better, right? So <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. So I'm gonna give this is not on the script. What colors should people play? Like who who should play not, red? Who should not play? not blue? Any color but blue whoa, is fine. Whoa, 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 whoa! Blue's my favorite magic color. Well, that's bad, and you're bad. What do you mean I'm bad? What did I do? <laughs> the, so here's the thing. Let's. Let's talk about the blue elephant in the room, okay. which is 
blue like blue is a very strong color and i i appreciate blue but i appreciate one half of blue okay so the thing about the blue decks is that they often carry this thing called counterspell which is basically like stop playing the game don't do that anymore that's my favorite card yeah and that's why you're a bad person <laughs> i well i mean i'm not gonna say i'm a bad person but i do like to ruin i do like to ruin people's fun you know so i guess man god damn it like playing against a blue player is such a frustrating moment in my life where it's just like okay so i counter that spell you're like oh you could go eat my entire ass <laughs> yeah I, i've had games where people just throw their cards and leave yeah when i when I, when I played back at a card store during Urza's Saga, there was a, a card called Palancrone, and it actually... Oh, yeah. I remember. Okay, so just so that people, so the listeners understand, this lets you, for like, seven mana, it's like a 7-7 seven, seven for seven mana, but when you play it, you untap seven lands, which is really sweet. So we figured out how to get extra mana with Gaia's Cradle by untapping, or no, was it? No, there was there was like Gaia's Cradle, so Gaia's Cradle gives you a mana for every creature you have, there's like a card that gives you a mana for every artifact. So we get all these artifacts on the table, and that card would give you mana for all your artifacts, we continually untap it, but then you could pay mana to return it to your hand. So you do this loop where you get this infinite mana where at the end of it, you just, you know, you play a card that the person draws X cards. So you, you know, you mill them for all their whole deck. Yeah. And I've had people get so angry <laughs> playing okay, with but us. That, but that's cool, right? Because yeah. that's an interesting alternate win condition versus I just don't like, I don't like counters. I'm not a big fan of the, like the hard control. But right. if you want to do, if you want to go like hard blue, and draw your entire deck and laboratory maniac into into win <laughs> power to you that's awesome well well that's well the deck relied on a lot of hard counters right so i had to, <laughs> I had to stop yeah. you from playing cards to win because there's no way for me to build up my land base and artifact yeah. collection right so you have to imagine a blue deck a blue player is one that is very i need to slow the game down a little bit <laughs> In order to <laughs> make it to do the fun thing that I want to do. And it's a lot of like thinking and it's like 4D chess. And then the yeah. other one of the other colors that is one of my personal favorite is red, which is like 4D chess is for turbo nerds. And it just <laughs> it, it's about going fast and it's about dealing damage directly to things. And it doesn't really like you, there's spells that are like you can't counter this. No interaction. Shut up. It's five damage directly to your face logan smash you with cards yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you're like that's throwing cards at people right that's what yeah. you like about it yeah <laughs> uh, one of my favorite like commander decks is the torbrand red deck so torbrand is a red commander that uh, when you play him all of a sudden all your red spells start to do a, a bunch more damage so it's everyone gets really concerned when torbrand hits the field and now i'm just like all of my really cheap, oh, I do one and two damage, turns into like I do six and eight damage, and that's a great time. As well as most of the red cards have a, a mechanic called haste. So usually when you play a creature, it can't attack the first turn that you play it. Well, when you have haste, you can. So red is just a hateful, go fast, blow stuff up. Right. And that, that makes me happy. And then white is a lot of like life magic. Yeah, it's, it's for the person who really just loves people. Like, I want yeah. this game, I want to get as much health as possible so the game drags yeah. on. I think that's, that, that's what the, <laughs> that white is. <laughs> and they, they also started to get into, like, knights recently. Yes. So there's a lot of, like, white knights, white angels, that kind of stuff. Then green, if you just like dinosaurs, play green. <laughs> like, if you just like the idea of riding around on a T-Rex, play green, you're going to have a great time. Yeah, if you, you want, want the hang biggest out biggest monster, like, you're like that 
per- you're like the little kid who just like smashing buildings with like a, a T-Rex <laughs> dinosaur in your hand. That's that's green. And yeah, nutshell. green green's a great time. <laughs> and then black is is necromancy. Like you want to be super evil. You want to summon demons. You want to hor- a, zo- a zombie horde or plague rats or whatever it is. Play black and you'll have a great time. You know, your life is a resource. Just spend it to go get the cards you need. Right. And then, yes, yes. That's actually a very good description of all the colors. And then, and then, and then just to blow, we're not going to go into it, but to blow everyone's mind, we kind of talked about it with like, uh, when we mentioned Demir and Simic, yeah. then every, then the colors kind of combo together to create other archetypes mm-hmm. to like, for instance, black green is like create creatures that help you gain life, basically, specifically in the Strixhaven set. Mm-hmm. They also, they'll put creatures in your graveyard to be reanimated with other spells. The black green is Golgari, and they're... There you go. They're interesting. They're like the the death spores, druid type of kind of character. Yeah, so there's a lot to magic. (laughs) 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 If everyone is uh, listening, if you haven't dropped off by now, then yes, there's a lot into magic. Yeah, it is. And we both love it, and we, you know, I highly recommend it if you want that next level complex game to play mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's a good opportunity. It can be very casual. The games can be actually quite quick. It's kind of rare that games last longer than like 20, 30 minutes. Right. You know, if it gets to that point, unless you're just kind of like, all right. Unless you're playing against a blue player. Because yeah, they're, they're the game lasts, you know, an hour yeah. at least. Yeah, because they need to draw their entire deck in order to get the combo pieces that they need in order to win. <laughs> right, they might have to reshuffle their deck ten times yeah. while they're doing that too. So, <laughs> which is actually my current arena deck. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, let's go into some what the hell is going on with Magic questions, Rapid yeah. Fire Edition, yeah. and we're gonna give a little bit of thoughts on the Magic universe. So, this is anywhere from collecting to the new set releases to you know people buying booster boxes to sit on. So, let's discuss these topics. So, the first one yeah. is why the hell. Are old cards so expensive? Any theories, Logan? Yeah, I, I do. It's a, it's a topic called like secondary and tertiary markets. And for you economics people out there, it's just supply and demand, right? Old cards are so expensive, I think, because of a combination of like nostalgia. A lot of people who are these collectors are like, oh, I remember these cards. They're super great. And then because people are collecting them and because they're not making any more of them they're only ever being destroyed so that means that the ones that exist now are of greater and greater value especially in formats that people like to play that are in demand for instance so if you play the magic the gathering format where it's play any of the cards you can have cards that are like five hundred dollars but it's because it's the best one inside of that format that happens to be particularly popular Honestly, the cards are so expensive because people are willing to pay the prices. They wouldn't be that expensive if no one was buying them. Yeah, that's exactly it. It just it becomes almost a collector's item, and then people just like, oh, I really need to have this because they want that exclusivity almost. Well, look at what Logan Paul did to Pokemon cards in the, the holographic Charizard first edition. Like, that thing that spurred on an additional idea of collecting collectors collecting reduces the supply increasing the demand now that naturally increases the prices so you know people have all these allergic reactions to things like a black lotus selling for 
$25,000. It's like, well, that's only because someone somewhere decided that it was worth $25,000. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have to pay that. Nah, it, <laughs> they probably could have paid it for like five, but hey, yeah, or it, 500 a, at the time when I first started, right? But yeah, like it, it's a penny's worth of cardboard pressed in with ink. Right. If, if you assign a value greater than that, then congratulations. Yeah, and, and basically, I think I, I touched on a little bit earlier, you know, Vintage needs those cards to make efficient decks. So you'll see tournament play, people need the card to play. And then collectors want the card because it's so hard to get. So you have that kind of supply and demand issue with that. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in one second with the secret lair. But first, why the hell is there a short time between set releases? So just so everyone knows, there's a short period of time between the next two standard sets, which is Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Innistrad Crimson Vow. So one gets released at the end of September and the other one's going to be released at the end of November. Any any theories on that, Logan? Maybe because they wanted to get rid of Thrones of Eldraine? Like, just cycle it out a little bit faster? <laughs> I, I have no idea. So I've heard that it's because of the Lord of the Rings and Warhammer Commander alternate universe thing that they're doing in January. Yeah. They kind of want to make a big deal of it. So the mm. those those two things are not going to be like a standard set. They're going to be like a very special thing that they're going to do. So yeah. they will, I I heard they want to put the focus on it. I mean, you could go back to Tuesday and maybe they'll give you a little, they'll give us all a little more insight on right. what's actually happening then. But that's what I heard. But I hope huh. I hope they don't give a short time between release between set releases because I don't really want to see a million sets being released. Right? Like I don't. I feel like there's just too much on. Well, yeah, because there, there's a lot to look at and digest. And when you look at the people who play it kind of regularly, like they're already teasing out what is going to be in Innistrad the most, like the next one. So people are going to digest that and then that's going to finish. And then they're immediately going to like start to spoil the next one. And that's right. it's kind of a treadmill. And some people just get tired of it. I think they might end up burning their audience out a little bit. I think they might too. Yeah, that, that's a big talk. So I follow a lot of forums and people are kind of complaining. They're like, well, you know, actually they're complaining on, on like a monetary value because they're like, well, I don't have the money to just, you know, dish out for Midnight Hunt and then also to show for Crimson Vow. And right. that kind of makes sense because there's a lot of sets that just got released. You know, we have the yeah. Adventures in Forgotten Realms, which is a D&D set. And then there, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of the people who play paper will play modern. So yeah. modern... Horizons 2 came out, which is a modern specific set, which gives more options for decks. And people paid a lot of money for that. That was an expensive set. You know, booster boxes yeah. are normally a hundred and something dollars. Well, the booster boxes for that were over 200. So people are like, I don't have money for all these other things, right? So hopefully they don't have a short ter- period of time between sets. And hopefully this is just a one you know year thing. And, and that's what yeah. I heard. And hopefully that's true. We'll see. Okay. What do you think about Secret Lair? <laughs> Oh, that that's talking about spending money. What do you think about Secret Lair? First of all, what is Secret Lair, Logan? You got me, man. I don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know? You don't know nah, what Secret Lair is? Okay, well, I, it's... I'm, I'm reading about it now, and I, I gotta be perfectly honest with you. I don't really pay attention to it. Okay, it's more of a collector's thing. So basically, a couple times a year, they'll release uh, cards with very specific art that you can mm. purchase. So that so that the pros of it is that you could buy these cards and you know exactly what you're getting the cons of it is that they you know they they say it's a collector's edition but the thing is they're printing so much of it that no you know it's not actually that special so yeah they devalue it yes so there's like a there's a positive thing in that because it's like okay why not print 
some out of print cards so that we can get them you know we, we can play them again like the, the idea is like i'm just gonna let everyone know they're never gonna do this but you know why not print some black lotuses again and you know yeah. charge everybody like 20 bucks or something and then all of a sudden that opens up like you know vintage to everybody but they're not going to do that due to i was actually reading about it they're actually not going to do that because they promised they would never do that in the 1990s and their lawyers told them that they'll never do that either <laughs> so that will so never happen but you know that's the idea right like let's just get these things printed so everyone can use them as opposed to like oh you actually have to spend a ton of money to get them right it kind of makes it accessible to everybody so it's actually like a good idea so i'm looking at the the secret layer price point these ain't cheap no wow they're not no uh, so you can do you can do all of them for six hundred dollars yeah and that's that's 12 cards for 600 dollars. so like yeah okay they're assigning a value to oh, it that's that's 12 packs five cards per pack it's still it's still not a lot of cards to be honest oh, yeah like maybe that's it. and it's all the same ones right but I'm, there's some interesting ones like there's different reprints so you could do the the saturday morning D D one mm -hmm. where they reprint the famous cards with the art from the dungeons and dragons cartoon series which is yeah that's pretty interesting i mean it's like 30 bucks or whatever it is but that's they reprint the cards that they want they can kind of manipulate the stock that's available but because it's not random chance because it's intentionally purchased now the card value goes down right because people can just buy the ones because the value of the booster packs it could be the super expensive one it could also just be junk rares it could be junk rares because if everyone buys them they become junk rares right yeah. if no one buys it then it becomes you know ultra collector's edition basically <laughs> so that's how that works but well i've heard a lot of mixed reactions to it like some people love the fact that it's making it less exclusive and then other people hate it because they're collectors and they're like well you're yeah. just devaluing my cards that i spent a lot of time trying to collect right yeah exclusivity is what they need yeah yeah they do i i have heard that they don't want that though they don't want it to be exclusive they want everyone to play it and prices not to you were mentioning the secondary and tertiary markets and they don't they don't want that they don't actually want that at all they want it to yeah. be you buy a booster box you play casually and your cards are not worth a bajillion dollars you know <laughs> well it's because i don't they don't get any of the profits in the secondary tertiary markets you're right and that's and that's why secret layers to counter that right because they will get the profits from that type <laughs> of thing take that collectors <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> that's funny that's funny okay well Okay, so <laughs> I don't know if this is, I don't know how related this is, but uh, what is it that people are trying to speculate card prices in the community? What do you, what do you think? Of well, that, that I, I think that's just a stock market thing. It's the same way that people make stock expectations and kind of speculations. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see the exact same thing with Magic the Gathering cards. And they'll do that based off a of relative power value. I was going to say, how do you speculate a Magic the Gathering card? That was what I was going to uh, ask you. I would say relatively. Right. Okay. So if you looked at a Magic the Gathering card and you looked at a combination of how strong is it going to be in the meta that it's going to be performing in when you look at either standard or vintage or modern or whatever it is, and then you find a comparable card that performs similar roles, and then you would kind of find that price point because you can't really guesstimate what the supply is going to be. But if you were to say it's an uncommon, well, you get well, like three or four uncommons per pack. 
So that increases the probability of pulling the card that's of greater value. Usually the most expensive cards are rares and mythics. Likely, you know, the full art, alternative art, foil, mythic rares are the super expensive ones. But ultimately when people do card releases, they'll look at like, was it uh, like Tybalt's Trickery ended up being this huge one because it was a red counter spell for the first time and it did a bunch of weird stuff like it was a paragraph of text that they printed on this card and it, no one really knew what to do with it because they had just had never seen it before right but other people who were able to look at the dual lands and be like yeah dual lands are going to cost 20 bucks because that's what dual lands always cost yeah yeah they look at like yeah like a dual land is basically a staple it produces two types of mana yeah. people look at that and like oh well that's going to be super powerful because as you start doing color combinations that makes sense right you basically need that card. Yeah, and the more popular color combinations, those dual lands end up being more expensive. Right, yes, which which you'll find, right? So like I think it was like what black blue is a super popular one. Right now, yeah. And I think red red blue is also another pop the one you play. Yep. Th- those are both super popular, so those lands will always be more expensive for now, but I mean, they do fluctuate, but they're all they're all very important. And so Blizzard actually, I think they've, they've definitely in the last standard sets have been trying to make more and more lands <laughs> with dual colors so that they become more available, right? Which is a yeah, great and thing. Some of them are are hindered, you know what I mean? So like right. it comes into play tapped or I think I did with, oh, what was it? Return to the Floating Rocks place. Zendikar Rising? Yeah, Zendikar Rising, where they had magic cards with like spell effects on one side and then lands on the other. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a phenomenal decision because the wasted portion of your Magic the Gathering deck is your lands. The lands don't do anything other than enable you to play the rest of the game versus if you could actually just have all of your cards be dual where they're the lands or they're the spells. Well, now you have mana smoothing and everybody's able to do stuff and you just kind of eliminate all the RNG. I don't know if they'll ever do that necessarily, but... Lands in general, I think, well, a necessary evil, also like mana flooding or mana screwed is just a way to prevent the game from playing because of just how mathematics worked out, how you shuffled your deck. Right. And and, and that's why people liked Hearthstone. That's actually why I liked Hearthstone over Magic before was because, you know, I, kn- I knew I was getting, you know, another mana every turn. I didn't have to rely right. on that land. It was more about getting yeah. the cards to play. Yeah. But going back to it, I actually see a lot of ways that they've changed the system and now they've added a lot more ways. Just like you said, the Zendikar Rising land spell cards are actually amazing because they give you they offer you another way to play right and you don't have to feel like oh i don't have the land well guess what you could have a lot of those cards and you could and then you'll never feel like you'll never have the land to play right it makes a lot of sense to me and i I like those design decisions i think they're doing a great job with that and i notice every set kind of has a dual land or a way to get more lands into play or you know whatever so they're doing a good job with that but yeah okay well why the hell are people buying booster boxes to sit on them (laughs) And, and this is such an interesting idea where if you look at a set and you're able to say this set is going to become popular these cards are going to become popular right you can just like get them throw it in an attic somewhere and then 20, 10 years down the road, it like doubles or triples in value, which is kind of what they saw. So the, the first two versions of the game were like alpha and beta sets, right? Right. And so like a beta boosters on their own sell for $10,000 or whatever it is, because there's a chance that it's got the super high powerful $25,000 card in it. 
And so some people look at it as kind of investments. And I think it was, wasn't that Modern Masters? That like the original MSRP and it went it out high, and then, yeah. but then people bought it and it just continued to escalate. It was, it came out, the recommended retail price was 200 or 220. Wow. And then card stores couldn't keep them in stock. So eventually they just started rising the price to kind of meet how much money they could get out of it. So they would, they were selling for 350. You know, they would have one box that was valued at 350 or whatever it is. So they would go in and someone would inevitably buy it. And then lo and behold, it had $400 worth of cards in it. You're right. There, there's a good balance between the prices of the cards in the set, supply yeah. on the boxes, and yeah. like, <laughs> and how much inventory that they want to keep on the shelf. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So a card store will definitely raise their prices so that they could keep more of the inventory. The cards become more expensive. So the boxes become more expensive. And it's just a loop at, yeah. at that point, right? Like it's a loop until the system finds a balance, finds equilibrium and consumers are no longer interested in buying it. You know, it's like it, you have one of these booster boxes and it, it's, as, it's as expensive as someone's willing to pay for it. Right. You know, if someone sees it at $500, like, oh, I'm not going to pay for that. But then if you saw it for 20 bucks, you would not be able to keep it on the shelf because you're selling it at below cost. Right. People are able to resell it somewhere else or whatever it is. So. Right. And that's that's also super interesting, too, because people don't really know how powerful a set is either. So base, a lot of it's based on the power of a set, and you will never know that for, like, years, too, yeah. right? So, like, for instance, Urza's Saga, Urza's Legacy, no one really knew how powerful that set was for, like, 10 years. And 10 years later, like, oh, my God, there's a lot of cards in here that are should not be have, have been made. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, we should not have Palacron. It creates infinite mana. We should yeah. not have this card. There's a card in there that, like take control of a creature and then untap five lands. It's like, yeah. that is that is too powerful, right? And it's just a lot of experimentation on their side. It is, and they, they learn a lot. I think they learned a lot from Thrones of Eldraine, where they really kind of messed up the meta. And then they just had to live with the fact that they messed up the standard meta for like four years. <laughs> yeah. Because of, it was introduced and then it was just there. And like, even now with the new Forgotten Realms set, Thrones of Eldraine cards are still kind of the staple like you're still seeing yeah. stomping giant you're still seeing that the the blue the, card the, that the hasting the hasting knight you're still seeing the whatever that pixie thing is so like i don't know like it, it there's a lot of lessons that are being learned by magic the gathering and i think they're taking a really hard look at what type of kind of world they're trying to bring about with their games on a super cool note logan so today august 16th wizards of the coast actually released their state of the game for 2021 and they actually admitted that throne of eldraine was way too powerful and it outshined the power of some of the current sets yeah. like and, and i actually noticed this too i actually think keldheim is a very powerful set i just think that yep. throne of eldraine has really just overshadowed it and i think yep. people will see that once once it leaves, they're gonna see that Keld Keldheim Keldheim is like super powerful. Just so yeah, Keld Keldheim is super powerful. Strixhaven looks really solid. Yeah, it's just that when you have cards that are more efficient and their effects are just straight up better, like why you know why would I give up my four copies of Brazen Borrower or Questing Beast to play? I make a bunch of pests and it gains me life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I yeah, don't know, that's not going to win you any games. Exactly, exactly. And you're right. The power of the cards in Thrones of Eldraine are the reason why people play them over and over yep. on a competitive note, right? But yeah, we'll definitely see that. It's it's going to be so fun to see how the meta or how, you know, what people play is going to look like in about a month. So that should be super cool. Standard 2022 
is a play option inside of Arena where they filter out Thrones of Eldraine. I think they filter out the last piece of Theros as well. So it's just like, I think it's just Ikoria up. Oh, standard 2022? No, it's, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's honestly just the last four sets. So it's Thundercard Rising, Keldheim, Strixhaven, Strixhaven and Forgotten Realm. Yeah, so it's just those four. And then, so yeah. that's going to set the stage for when Innistrad Midnight Hunt comes out. So that'll be really yeah. cool. Yeah, I think a lot of people are shifting to that because the meta, that they're just tired of playing in the meta that exists because it's the same, it's the same decks going around and around <laughs> as people are trying to complete their dailies or grind for their ranks or whatever it is. A lot of, I think the Magic the Gathering content creators kind of got pretty saturated they're like okay well time to play arena and do the same thing yeah no you're right and and honestly the meta or what people have been playing has been the same for the last well since i started playing arena which would have been in may it's been the exact same meta honestly yep. maybe maybe one thing came in i think winota might the winota yeah came in, that, but... that came in and then immediately got shut down i remember when winota got there was Winota into back in the core set, the 21 core set. Mm -hmm. It had a, I forget what it is, a thief. Basically, you built the premise of the deck was to get Winota, which is a legendary warrior. And when she attacks, she replaces one of its allies with another human. And the only other human in the deck would be this agent of treachery. That's what it was. And it's this like seven mana, which is almost like the most expensive a card will be. And it would come down and it would take one of your opponent's things. So it'd be like turn three agent of treachery. And then they would flicker the agent of treachery. Oh, so sorry. you would you would just keep stealing stuff. So agents of treachery got super turbo banned because people abused it, especially with Yorian the companion that was supposed to like it could flicker stuff flickering means it leaves the battlefield and comes back so anything with an entering the battlefield trigger you could just do that every turn and there's some things that are very expensive that are very good to flicker yes yes absolutely flick yeah oh man and that's the fun thing about the meta <laughs> Because <laughs> they build things like that, and they're like, whoops. That wasn't <laughs> supposed to be the way. Okay, ban that card. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. <laughs> and if you look at the number of banned cards in the past two years, they have banned more cards in the past two years than they have banned in the history of Magic. Yeah. And like a banned card is not like everyone has to rip it up or something like that. Like a banned card just means you can't take it to a tournament. And if you played it at your local game store, they'd probably be like, hey, that's on the banned list. You can't do that. But a ban a banning a card is Wizards admitting oh that wasn't the way that that was supposed to be <laughs> uh, maybe don't do that yeah i think i think the other thing they admitted that they did really bad was the Ikoria uh, companions because they didn't have a, a cost <laughs> right they didn't have a cost to play right yeah. away and they actually admitted that arena helped them figure out how powerful the companions were and allowed them to adjust that so so the companion is it starts outside of your hand but originally you could play it anytime like a commander like the commander set but then they then they realize because you're only paying the cost they're like "Ooh, that's not a good idea because there's so many decks that became so powerful because of it so basically they added yeah. a cost you pay three and then yeah. it enters your hand and then you could play it yeah and it's as a sorcery right because there were there were flash there's a flash companion that magic otter thing imri or whatever it is the spell chaser right which the fact that you can just play a creature flash have it exist outside of your hand very strong yeah and they admitted it they 100 percent admitted it they're like yeah we we actually screwed up which was actually <laughs> kind of cool like you know to admit like yeah we really messed up a mechanic 
and they but they fixed it so all is good yeah yeah <laughs> i'm a big fan of the companion obosh the prey piercer what does that again do? because that's the doubler okay um but his restriction so to have him as your companion you can only have odd mana costs in your deck right so it's super restrictive but when you do manage to get the prey piercer down it's sometimes like you can go from swinging for like five to ten really easily nice yeah, and that's why we love magic. Infinite amount of rules on on that, <laughs> but not an infinite amount of cards. Why the hell are yeah. people buying booster box, uh, sniping the cards from it, and then returning them to Amazon? Have you heard of that? Amazon will take them. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's that nothing crazy? new. But the, also, like people going into like WalMarts and cracking open the packs to get the the holographic whatever it is at the front of it, just pocketing that and walking out again. Wait, it's people just not... literally go into Walmart and open up yeah. the first? Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I don't know, nothing new under the sun, right? Like they, the, the idea of minimizing your costs and maximizing your returns happens all the time. If, if Amazon is willing to accept the returns of like, ah, we'll just open a little bit, take out all the rares, reseal the, the cards and then ship them out to Amazon, like whatever. Amazon won't notice their economy <laughs> of scale. Like for as much money as Magic the Gathering gets them, they're not going to notice the like, oh, one to two percent of the Magic the Gathering products we bought got returned. Man, it just goes into the incinerator. What do they care? Wow. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It doesn't matter to them. <laughs> and then like, honestly, if if you're just looking to you're not looking to purchase the stuff you're just looking to get the cards i can understand why people are doing it yeah because you can make a lot of but you can make a lot of money if you start you sniping can. those cards right and then totally. returning it so basically you got these cards for free you can resell and that oh, yeah. secondary and, and tertiary market again there it is yeah. again yeah <laughs> selling your singles you can get like a lot of store credit at a uh, local gaming stores you could just walk in and they're not gonna wonder where they come from all they see is that now they have the high quality singles that they can put out front inside the little display cases yeah to bring people in yeah that's kind of sad yeah. it's kind of a sad thing but but that's what you're talking about with people buying booster boxes sniping cards and returning them to amazon that's theft that's what that is yeah, right absolutely. like that's and you're just you're just stealing from one of the largest corporations on the planet. So like, it, I don't know. Does that hurt me? No, not really. <laughs> uh, does it does it hurt the the hobby? I don't think so. I think the question is more like, why did they feel like they needed to steal it? Like, if you're collecting something because you want to make a return on it and you're using it as a business, well, you're not participating in the hobby then. Yeah, it, it's actually super interesting. So, like, I read uh, Magic: The Gathering Finance a lot. And mm -hmm. So the people, so that's actually where I got the boot. Why are people buying booster boxes and sitting on them? Yeah. They're actually the ones complaining that they'll buy the boxes from Amazon for cheap because basically people have returned the boxes, found a way to seal them back up, and then. Amazon basically weighs the product so they they think it's the same and then they resell those pat those boxes people get the boxes because they want to sit on them and then they start yeah. realizing that actually these boxes have been opened all the valuable cards have been removed and replaced mm -hmm. right so that's kind of where that that came from now now the thought and I actually kind of agree with this maybe maybe you do or not Logan and you could chime in but my thought is that it actually makes a lot of sense to me you know what I should be supporting my local game store. So when you buy from a local game store, you know they're not actually going to be doing that, right? Or that's not going to happen. So, or you hope. <laughs> the thing is, is that it's, I 
a lot of uh, like game stores have been caught resealing product. Oh, really? It doesn't happen all that often because it's just a, it's a way to make it so your customers never come back. But it, it, the idea of a a social construct, uh, social contract, the idea of I'm going to participate in this game. It's pretty much accepted. This is how you participate in these games. Right. You want to keep the local game store going. You have to buy the product from them in order to give them money so they can keep going. And then if you if you like the tournaments that they host, you have to participate in them. So if you want to support them, you have to be participatory in it and you have to speak with your wallet. So if you're if you're going to Amazon for your product, I I really am like, no, please, please go to your local gaming store right. and keep them alive because it, Amazon, it's just one product stream. But only at a local gaming store will you have the clerk be able to tell you what their favorite commander set is or what's the current tabletop role playing game that they're playing. Or will they will they manage the cafe that's attached to the board game section of your local gaming store? Because it's it's a social experience. Right. You know, you can't buy that from Amazon. Admittingly, if Amazon's the only way that you can get the product over to you, I'm not going to dictate that you need to drive four hours to the nearest town where there's a local gaming store. But for those of us who are. But if. If you have a local gaming store, then yeah, you should definitely support them. Totally support them. You know, like my philosophy, I have my local gaming store and I go there and if I can't find what I'm looking for, I order from a different local gaming store in a different town. Right. You know, like Meeple Mart out of Toronto has a huge stock for a lot of the war games that I play. I go to my local. My local didn't have the thing that I want. So I went to Meeple Mart, but I wouldn't, I never order from amazon or some of these like larger websites right i actually do the same thing i try to support my local game stores and if they don't have it i'll do 401 games and if they don't have it then i'll do amazon united states because generally they do and then i have to like cross a border to pick up my stuff but (laughs) that's generally yeah you just gotta go to the amazon locker across the bridge (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) and then finally our last rapid fire question is is there anything worth collecting in magic what do you think I think whatever works for you is worth collecting. The idea of, of collecting, I personally collect tabletop role-playing games and I collect them because of the the mechanics. So I deem those to be of value. Therefore, I collect them. It, for what's going to really jive for you on an individual level for Magic the Gathering is entirely like your thing. If there's a particular set that you really enjoy and you just kind of want to collect that, go for it. If you like the aesthetics, then go for that. If you just want to get into the the kind of the stock trading portion of it and you just kind of want to chase what the value is going to be, then then go for that. I think what is worth collecting is a very relative, quite frankly, contextual question based off of who you're talking to. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's like, I, I just think a lot of people lately have been trying to get into the collecting of magic or whatever, or they see like, oh, Black Lotus went for 50,000. How how should I start collecting? And and I yeah. think like, to be honest, it's just a matter of like, well, we kind of went over it a little bit before with evaluating uh, a card, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like speculating. And it's kind of yeah. like, you should look at a card and be like, do I like this? Do I not like this? And if you like it, and then you should maybe add it to your collection and then that's how collecting works right and then maybe that will rise or fall and if it falls who cares if it rises, you shouldn't you know you shouldn't expect it to rise i think some people do and people do love that game of playing the stock markets with magic and you know power to you but i think it should be more in my mind it should be more along the lines of do you like something or do you not like something it's also enjoying something not intended in the way that it was designed right if you're gonna buy magic product to get the high off of gambling, then like maybe, 
talk to somebody about that one yeah because like magic is a game and the reason why it's created is because it's to be played against other people if you're doing it if you're collecting it for the sake of collecting then that is your own world and i don't think anyone could dissuade you like if you want to collect magic the gathering cards no one's going to be able to talk you out of it (laughs) you do it have fun yeah absolutely and i I think like uh, it's very common answer especially like mtg finance you know if you if you say oh i'm in it for making money it's like they'll they'll tell you and i, and I will tell you personally just invest your money in the stock market yeah. <laughs> right if you're if you're collecting it for some reason make it because you want to right like like you yeah. said you have some investment in a set or you really like you know these specific cards like do it for that reason don't yeah. do it because you're trying to chase money cuz that probably won't be a good idea to be honest chasing money in general just isn't a good idea super super fun <laughs> and i mean if some people do it because it's what they that's that's how they live and like i'm not yeah no absolutely gonna, i'm not gonna like stop that but some people need it you know i have a, a friend of mine who invests in the stock market just because he enjoys it you know and like he makes a lot of money and there's other times where he just breaks even yeah you know so it's a it's a crapshoot <laughs> is magic the gathering the next big gold mine i don't really think so <laughs> yeah it's not but the next I... bitcoin let's, let's put that one. nope well i hope not it'll be because then it'll become more expensive for us to try and get cards yeah. so yeah <laughs> uh, well someone will figure out how to blockchain magic the gathering cards and then we're all <laughs> we're, we're all, all screwed <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely all right well that's been fun is there any yeah. questions you want to throw at me before we take off if you had to pick one card what do you think is your favorite one my favorite card yeah oh man uh wow i guess i have to go with something i have attachment to and, and i've said it several times and actually would be the palindrome yeah just 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 because that's one of the first times when i played magic i figured out something that i don't think everyone had figured out i mean it was a time where the internet was very in, in its infancy right so it wasn't like things like this were flying around the internet really quickly and there was no games mm. other than you know playing in your local card shop so i i would say that has that would be my favorite card because we figured because me and my best friend Dan we figured out that we could make infinite mana, and then we entered a two-headed tournament. Then <laughs> we blew away a couple people, but we didn't win. We didn't win. We got we ended up getting defeated in the end, but we blew away people, we blew people's minds with what we did. So we enjoyed that. Nice. What about you? I think probably like Warp World. I think is one of my favorites because one, when you play it, it's eight mana. And it makes everybody stop and go, what is this? What is happening? So each player shuffles shuffles all permanents they own into their library and then reveals that many cards from the top of the library. Then you put all artifacts, creatures, and land cards revealed that way onto the battlefield. Then does the same for enchantments, then puts all cards revealed that way that weren't put into the battlefield on the bottom of the library. Oh, that's like a jerk card. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Chaos is chaos. You just love chaos, right? Yeah, I I genuinely do. there's warp world there's another one whose name that i'm forgetting that obviously isn't my favorite because i can't remember it that swaps out the owners of the permanents so you literally just put the permanents in a big pile and then you roll a die to randomly determine who gets control of them which i think is really interesting wow, that's cool. um, but I, I i like the idea of complete reset but not to zero just right. get rid of whatever's going on right now. All this interaction that's happening, get rid of that, and now just rip cards off the top and see what you get. Yeah, a little bit of chaos orb. Drop it from a height and see what it lands on, and then whatever it hits <laughs> blows up. <laughs> we didn't even talk about 
We didn't even talk about the unglued sets and the unhinged oh, sets. I, yeah, I grew oh, up with God. unglued. Yeah, there's, you know what? Magic is its own podcast. <laughs> it really it's true. Is. There's many people that do that. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. On that note, Logan, please plug your podcast again for us. Yeah, sure. I'm the host of Tunnel Fishing Games. If you want to learn more about the the three pillars of board games and tabletop role-playing games, simulation, mechanics, and story, hop on over to Tunnel Fishing Games at Podbean. Also, big ups to Megan from Girl Meets Nerd, because uh, I wouldn't be here doing this if she didn't respond on the Twitter. Yeah, thanks, Megan. Thank you so much, Logan, for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Twitter. Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Instagram at Friday Night underscore official, our website, FridayNight.games, and don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks a lot, everyone, and thanks for being on the show, Logan. Thanks for having me. See you, everyone.